People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Fine Music Radio, this is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. And my guest this week is someone who... I have no idea why I've not had on the program in the six or seven years that People of Note has been running on Fine Music Radio, Dion Irish. Now, he was appointed organist at St. Peter's Camps Bay in Cape Town in 1958 at the tender age of nine years, would you believe? Later, he was taught by Professor Shirley Gee, and he was appointed to the position of St. Michael's Observatory in Cape Town, where he has served since 1972. Then, at the petition of the parish, he was awarded the title titular organist by the Bishop of Table Bay in 2002. In 2011, he was made a member of the Order of St. Simon of Cyrene in recognition of his service to church music within the Anglican Church of Southern Africa. But apart from all that, he's contributed substantially to the life of the community in South Africa in many different areas as an organ teacher, a highly respected symphony and opera music critic for the Cape Times, a mentor for young choral conductors, and through his finance and legal work for the Diocese of Cape Town, as a choir master whose contribution to the musical development of young choristers in conjunction with the RSCM was transformative. And then there's his professional life as a senior counsel. And just recently, Dion was made an associate of the Royal School of Church Music in recognition of his contribution to church music in South Africa. Dion, how's that for an introduction for you <laughs> of your distinguished career? It's staggering, really. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here, Rodney. Thank you for inviting me. Well, look, it's all very exciting. The main reason that I suppose the hook that got me was this award, the Associate of the Royal School of Church Music, which you've just received and you've just had it awarded to you. How does that happen? How did you know about it? Do they write to you? Do they phone you? Do they send you something in the post? <laughs> it was actually very amusing. I was overseas in January on holiday. I, I go skiing if I can in January. And I was in a little village in Austria, and it being my birthday on the 2nd of January. And so I took up my iPad to have a look at the emails to see if there were any congratulations or wishes <laughs> from my family or such like. And I was intrigued to find a post in the inbox saying, Honorary Award. So I thought, what bit of spam is this? Yes. And I opened it up, and, and to my amazement, there was, um, there was an email asking whether I would be prepared to accept an honorary award from the Royal <laughs> so, School of Church so Music. Polite, yes. I so think it might, might be the most unusual birthday present I ever had, I must say. It's amazing that you got it on your birthday. Yes, extraordinary. And that was back in January, but now it's only just been awarded a week ago, two um, weeks ago. Last right? Saturday evening, yes. Okay. Yeah. And how did they do that? You didn't go over because of this whole COVID yeah. thing. Well, it was meant to be, um, uh, they have an annual award ceremony day. They call it Celebration Day, and it's, it's to celebrate the work of the RSCM around the world and to, to give some awards to people they think have done something worthy of it. So it was the big ceremony was supposed to be in Salisbury Cathedral last Saturday afternoon. It would have been a big service with um, everyone present and the grand and the good. And we were all invited, and I would have, well, whether I would have been able to go given the COVID restrictions, I don't know anyway. Mm. But really towards almost at the last minute, they decided to cancel the entire event because of the worsening COVID situation in, in the UK. And as a result, the whole thing was held virtually. Which, in, in a sense, was nice because it, 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 it leveled the playing field and we were all sitting in front of TV screens. Oh, so you were here in South <laughs> so Africa. So I was here in South Africa. At your yes. home watching this service. <clears throat> yes. And knowing that you're very much part of it. Well, yeah, very much so. And then they mention your name and what? Well, they, at one stage, it took the form of, a, of an evensong service, actually. And in, in the middle of that, the, the awards were given. And they did it very nicely, I think. They had pictures of us up on the screen uh, for each recipient, and they read out a little biography about us and said why they thought we, we were good chaps, or girls in some cases. And we then were duly conferred the award by the uh, Dean of Westminster Abbey, oh, right. who was, who's the chairman of the RS team as well. And were there people from all around the world who are awarded this, this honor? On this occasion, the associate awards went to uh, recipients from the United States, Australia, New Zealand, myself, South Africa, 
and two from the UK. Mm-hmm. So it's recognition, isn't it? Well, I suppose it is a bit. You know, it's, it's a peer thing, really, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's an acknowledgement by your peers that they think you've done a good job. I think everyone would find that gratifying. Of course, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and they obviously know and must know what you do. I mean, the RSCM obviously knows what you do in South Africa. Well, the local RSCM committee certainly know me well, and, and of course I've had involvement with them over many years, and particularly the individual members who, who, who are on the committee and such like. But uh, they have to motivate it to the, to the central committee, as it mm-hmm. were. It all sounds right. a bit Politburo. <laughs> so the central committee have to get, understand all this, and so they have to put up quite a detailed submission not quite like being canonized, but almost. <laughs> and um, and it was very amusing, actually, because I, I kept getting asked all sorts of strange questions during the course of last year. People would suddenly send me things saying, for example, one which stuck in my memory was, how many orchestral masses have you actually conducted at St. Michael's? Which was an intriguing question. So I, yes. went, I went back to the records and looked and I discovered, in fact, by last year, that was about August, I think that query came last year, I'd conducted 127 orchestral masses in St. Michael's. Good 14 me. coronation masses alone. Well, <laughs> Extraordinary, <laughs> isn't it? It is. And one more silly question before we have our first piece of music. Yes. Dion, do you get anything? Do you get a badge or a cloak or can you wear anything or do you... Well, I get the initials, so I can stick those behind my name, which I've, already, so done. Many... I've already done on the website, by the way, so <laughs> that's all official. But, uh, but I get a hood as well, yes. A hood? A hood. It's an honorary degree, really. Mm-hmm. Can you wear the hood during a service? Yes, absolutely. You, are you required to? You're not required to, but you can if you, if you so wish. <laughs> Good. Well, <laughs> talking about those masses and things, there's a lot I want to talk about, this extraordinary place, St. Michael's, an observatory, and the things you do there. But being a musician, well, we also know you're senior counsel, but I'm most intrigued at the music you've chosen to share with us, Dion. What's your first piece and why? Well, uh, I thought we'll start off with a, a bit of absolute fun. You know, one of the, the obvious one of the main things that any organist in any church does is to play lots of hymns, right. which can be an extraordinarily interesting and, and musically rewarding thing, actually, if one develops a, a fondness for them and tries to do things with them. But the arrangements of hymns can be, of course, absolutely fabulous. And I have a friend in the United States called Richard Webster, who at some stage of his career was at a church called St. Luke's in Evanston, which is where Northwestern University is situated. And they have, of course, this absolutely fabulous brass department, which everyone knows about. And so while he was there, he developed a relationship with the brass department, and he started writing these extraordinary arrangements of hymns with chorus and organ and brass. And they're absolutely fabulous. And they are completely over the top but wonderful. And so I'm, I've chosen one for us to hear, which is, uh, funny enough, an Advent hymn, which um, is sort of appropriate because I started my long career at St. Michael's, in fact, on an Advent Sunday. And this was, I think, one of the very first hymns I therefore played on that lovely organ. But here's an arrangement by Richard Webster with brass from Northwestern and the full treatment for the wonderful Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voices Sounding. Thank you. 
grand sound indeed, gosh, Dion, with brass and organ. What was that? Just remind me. Uh, well, that was an arrangement by Richard Webster of, of the great Advent hymn, Hark a Thrilling Voices Sounding. You know, I think as an organist, that's the most fun you can have, playing that sort of music, because it's even nicer than conducting a full orchestra, I think, because you're actually making the music yourself at the organ. Yes. And you've got this incredible um, ensemble going with you. And the sense of, I don't know, you just feel that this, this sense of excitement building up inside you. It's, it's, it wants to just burst out. <laughs> Wonderful. And how do you cope with things like balance and intonation and all that? Is that okay with brass and an organ? It's, it's a hit and miss affair, I'm afraid. <laughs> I liked your expression. At <laughs> it's that a complete point. hit and miss affair. <laughs> but nonetheless, it reminds you of the grand occasions of royal weddings, doesn't oh, of it? Of course. With brass yes. like that at Westminster Abbey. Absolutely. My guest on Fine Music Radio this week is Dion Irish, and he has just been awarded an associate of the Royal School of Church Music in recognition of his contribution to church music in South Africa. And you mentioned, what, how many masses did you do? By August last year, we'd done 127. Which is amazing. And that's, I just want to ask you, because St. Michael's has, I hope you don't get cross what I'm going to say now, because I, uh, 15 or 16 years ago, converted from Anglican after spending a life as an Anglican to the Catholic Church. And, you know, St. Michael's, they joke about it, saying it's more Catholic than Catholic, higher than the Vatican. How do you deal with that sort of mockery? It's not mockery at all. I regard that as the greatest tribute that anyone can give us. <laughs> because it really is grand, don't you? And certainly liturgically and vestment-wise, that church specifically goes out of its way to do things properly at the various liturgical seasons. I, I don't really, if you don't mind, I don't really like the word properly because that implies that people who don't do that are, are somehow wrong. And okay, I, I, don't think, I don't think that's quite right. I withdraw it promptly. What I think we try to do there, and has almost been seen, I think, as our particular mission there, is to try and keep together the fullness of the liturgical experience so that there's at least somewhere within this country at least that people can go and experience that. So that while it might not be everybody's daily or weekly diet, um, I think it's important that it's available. Mm. And that's certainly borne out by the number of visitors we get uh, who come specifically, I think, for that experience. And then, of course, we do have our own very faithful congregation who come there specifically because that is what they want. Mm -hmm. So our regular, our regular congregation is, uh, is very uh, peripatetic. I mean, we get, we get people who come from as far as Woolsey on a Sunday morning for regularly for Sunday Mass. Mm -hmm. um, and I know ordained ministers from other denominations that come to you as well. Oh, yes, oh, yes. <coughs> to enjoy. Inclu including a few of yours, Rodney. Yes. Including a few of yours. <laughs> we won't mention any names. But, I mean, you do things like pontifical masses. Oh, indeed. You must surely be the only Anglican church in South Africa that would do a pontifical mass. Mm, there are a couple still doing are them. There? I think, think Kimberley Cathedral, for example, has a, a very fine liturgical stand. My uh -huh. friend Peter Black, the organist there, uh, and the clergy there have maintained an extraordinarily good standard, given the really quite difficult circumstances in, in, in Kimberley in terms of availability of musicians and the mm -hmm. like. But these masses that you do with orchestra, they're very much a highlight, aren't they? And you do them liturgically, depending on the seasons, don't you? Yes. And you then hire, do you, players from the orchestra or elsewhere? Well, I think that's been an important thing. What we do is we, we provide, I think, an additional source of work and funding for professional musicians in this town. So the orchestral masses usually take place on the great festivals. So in the course of, the, of an average year, we would, we would try and do them for the Feast of Purification in February, then comes Lent, of course, nothing then, but then Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, Corpus Christi, the Assumption, Michaelmas, which is our paternal festival, of course, and then Christ the King, mm -hmm. and then Christmas the itself. Christmas. So there's usually eight or nine orchestral masses uh, in a year. And what sort of – I know you've done, you've done Haydn – You've done a host of different composers. We've done everything from Monteverdi to Clazzo. Oh, really? That's, well, I'm just, that's, that, a, that's the timeline. Yes, line. it's a wide um, timeline. The, the, the more extraordinary ones that we've done, or unusual, I think, one of the high points, I think, was the Rossini Petit Mess Solennel last year for the Bicentenary. And that was an extraordinary event in many ways because it was coming up and I thought, we have to do something by Rossini. I thought, what about the Mass? And I did some research. It's so long, you know. That is, it is long. I, I thought it can't really be liturgical, but I discovered it, it was written actually as a liturgical work and was premiered as such. So I went to the priest in charge at the time and said, well, 
do you think we might do this? And he, being a music lover, looked faintly delighted and said, um, <laughs> why not? <laughs> so we did. And we had, I think, I think it might have been the only actual liturgical, liturgical performance, proper mass, um, of that work last year for the bicentenary. But the, the funniest thing of all was we did it properly with the two pianos and the harmonium and, and the whole thing. And we had on the pianos Francois de Troy and Victor Tichard. And at the actual mass, to their horror, they looked down the nave of the church and who was sitting there? David Nettle from the Nettle and Markham Dewar, mm-hmm. who's recording with, with Birmingham is probably the <laughs> premier recording of that work. So the two of them, of course, immediately had a complete meltdown about that. But David was very polite and kind about the whole thing afterwards and, and complimented them as he should have done for, the, for, the, for their wonderful contribution on the pianos. And that, sadly enough, by the way, was the last time I saw Victor Tichard, of course. Yes, because he died so suddenly. So that was he... November, and he died just shortly after that, mm-hmm. a couple of months after that, yes. Dion Irish, another piece of music, please. Well, yes, um, perhaps something slightly different from the, from very much from the English church music, although not written for the Anglican communion as such, but by a, a composer who did write a lot of works for the Anglican church, William Byrd and his great motet, Ave Virum Corpus, which is one of our choir absolute favorites. So it's a work that has a special place for us.
the Ave Verum by William Byrd, um, and that one of the Troy. Who's performing that, by the way, Dion? I'd have to have a quick look at the record again. Hang on. The I'm record that takes right. you back. It's the it? uh, Cambridge Singers conducted by um, John Rutter, okay. who, in in my very humble opinion, is a much better conductor than he is a composer. Okay. <laughs> I hope he's listening. <laughs> he's a he's a very fine conductor. My guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio is Dion Irish. And one of the many reasons I brought you in, Dion, is to celebrate with you your being made an associate of the Royal School of Church Music in recognition of your contribution to church music in South Africa. And, you know, before that music break, you were talking about uh, these masses that you did, like the Rossini. And I was going to ask you, I suppose it's quite important for the clergy to be on your side. What if you have a priest there who doesn't particularly like choral music? Presumably you've had priests there who've been absolutely supportive of what you're doing. I have been utterly blessed, and I use that word uh, very advisedly, by having the most extraordinary series of supportive clergy ever since I've been there. Mm -hmm. And they have all been nothing but enthusiastic and encouraging about the music program, including our new man who's only just been there for uh, not even a year yet, who has just taken to it. With, like a with, fish to water. Well, I wouldn't quite put it that way, but certainly with alacrity. <laughs> yes, okay. And your choir, is it made up purely of parish people, or do you bring in people? Because presumably there are times where you might need to make it bigger. We do occasionally get in extra singers for, for very big events, but, but largely it's a body of, of quite dedicated musicians, and they nearly are all musicians themselves, which is interesting. Most of them play instruments or teach or do things like that. So, at least they can read. Oh, they read. They you don't read have like to dreams, note yes. bash. No, very little note bashing involved at all. Um, they read extraordinarily well. They're very dedicated. They're all very busy people, mm -hmm. which makes sometimes juggling timetables and things very tricky. But um, but they give of their best, and they join perhaps because of the music, but I think they stay because of the total experience, yes. and they become very much part of the parish. And and that's nice because the choir is not seen as a sort of a, how shall I say, some adjunct to the parish. Mm -hmm. It's very integrated in the life of the parish, and I think is is, is treated and valued as such. And presumably you work with them. I mean, they have to work fairly hard. If you are doing a liturgical mass, you've got rehearsals in the week, all that sort of thing. Well, n normally speaking, before before the current troubles, uh, but normally <laughs> speaking, we would have one rehearsal a week on a Tuesday evening for about an hour and a half. And then there would be a run through before the mass on the Sunday morning. Uh, and we normally sang uh, masses on Sunday morning, even song once a month on the first Sunday of the month, which would be a, a sung even song, a double duty, a full choral even song. Yes. yes, and so the even song music I could I could spread over the month, learning it through the practices during mm -hmm. the month. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't too much of a problem. It got it sometimes got a bit hectic around Holy Week and Easter, of course, and then the Christmas carols and services and things. They can become very busy times. But, you know, the choir loved the music, and I had very little problem about people wanting to go away for Easter weekends or things like that, because most of them actually wanted the stage to sing, especially the wonderful Good Friday and uh, music, which is, I think, the nicest it's service glorious, of the year. It's yeah. glorious. And, I mean, you must be so immersed in it, Dion, because you have to, as you just said, you've got to choose the music, the suitable hymns, the suitable liturgical music for the various uh, parts of the liturgical calendar. Well, you see, if you're going to make liturgical music work correctly, which I think is the whole point of it, it should be integrated into the liturgy. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be simply a concert performance of music because it happens to sound pretty or something. And there's no point in that whatsoever liturgically. It, it's got to fit into the, the mass, which means it's got to fit into the the proper readings of that particular service. It's got to fit in the, 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 the theme of the day, if, if there is such a thing, or the feast or the season. And, you know, nothing, nothing drives me worse than listening to a Christmas carol being played in September. I mean, I'm, <laughs> Isn't that I, awful? I, well, I just, I'm afraid I do. I, I, get, I get a sort of allergic reaction to that, mm. really. Mm. I reach for the antihistamine tablets immediately. <laughs> it's off the doom. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should have another piece of music. What do you think? Pleasure. What um, now? Well, uh, a piece which I love and which we've been able to do at St. Michael's. One of the nice things about St. Michael's is, of course, being in, in, in the Anglican tradition, it's, it's fairly, what's the word? It has very, it's fairly tolerant of, of what can and can't be done, and they're not very strict rules about music. So we've been able to do music across a very broad and draw from other traditions, including the wonderful Lutheran tradition and, and all the, the wonderful works of Bach, 
Schütz and, 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 and others. But if you look at Bach, he wrote four cantatas for Michaelmas alone. And the last of them, the fourth one, is a, is a glorious cantata, which is called Man singet mit Freude von Fried, von Sieg. A man sings with joy of the war, the, the great war in heaven, of course. And there's a most glorious aria for soprano in that, which is Gottes Engel weichen nicht. Uh, and that's what I'd like to choose. Now, we did, uh, we did this for Michaelmas in 2016, and Antoinette Blythe, as she then was, uh, sang this very beautifully, I recall. So uh, that's my third choice.
We're listening to some lovely music here, the choice of my guest, Dion Irish, here on Fine Music Radio. And what was that? That was from a cantata you said for Michaelmas by Bach. Yes, the cantata, um, Man singet mit Freude von Sieg, BWV 149, and that was the soprano aria, Gottes Engel weichen nicht. Now, the one thing I've been dying to ask you is about the organ at St. Michael's, because you're being an organist, and I'm sure that's very important to you that your instrument is a fine instrument. Is it a fine instrument? Well, that's, that's the main reason I went there, of course, because I'd never heard of St. Michael's Observatory at all. And at the stage in 1972, um, I was singing in the cathedral choir, St. George's in Cape Town, and Barry said to me, uh, Barry Smith, said to me, why don't you apply for that post at St. Michael's? And I said, St. Michael's? What's that? I've never heard of it. And he said, well, he says, it's a very fine organ. You know, It's a lovely two-man Norman beard. So I went along to have a look and, and interview the rector and so on, uh, or be interviewed by the rector, I suppose, and, um, and fell in love with the organ immediately because it was a fabulous two-man instrument. And so that was the main reason I went there. And, um, Wasn't Richard Cock there before Richard you? Cock had been there before me, that's exactly. Right, that's yeah. right, that's right. That's a bell. Now. now, Richard and I had been through varsity together all the way, mm. so uh, I knew him quite well. And then he left to go overseas because he got a scholarship and went over to study at the ROCM and then became, as you might remember, assistant organist of Church's that's Cathedral. Right. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So that's where he went, and I, I, I slipped onto his uh, <laughs> bench, bench which had nicely warmed up for me. <laughs> so 1972, gosh, and is it true that you played the organ at nine at Camps Bay in Cape Town? Yes, I did. It was because I started off, I started off as, as I suppose a lot of precocious kids do, banging away furiously as a kid on the, on the piano in my home. I didn't really remember that, but my mother said, you know, at the age of about three, I was already wouldn't leave the piano alone, driving them mad. So they sent me off to lessons with a wonderful teacher called Augusta, normally known as Gussie, Gussie Devaris in Seapoint, who was a marvelous teacher. This and was the piano now. Piano, yes. yes. And so I, having done a few years with her, I was becoming quite competent as a pianist, really, I suppose. And um, at that stage, the lady who played the organ at St. Peter's in Camps Bay died rather unexpectedly. And there was no one to play the organ, and they couldn't find anyone, and so on and so forth. And somebody said, well, you play the piano. You can just go to a game and play the So I did. And that was the beginning of it, because I regarded it simply as, as trying to help the parish out. But as the weeks and then months went by, uh, I became more and more intrigued by this instrument, which had such different characteristics in many ways from the uh, piano. Mm. But, of course, in some ways, it's, it's such a close cousin as well. Um, so the transition wasn't all that difficult, and uh, eventually it really did become my love rather than piano. I've never lost my love of piano music as such, but as a performer, I don't regard myself as a pianist in any way whatsoever except for rehearsal purpose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and now here's a question. I'm interested to know how you answer this. How do you regard yourself as an organist? Would you be a recitalist or are you a choral organist type? I'm, I'm, I'm what the 19th century would have called a very serviceable man. <laughs> <laughs> I, see. Okay. I, I think I'm a good <clears throat> accompanist. I think I can handle liturgical music very well, but I've never regarded myself as a solo recitalist, uh, mm-hmm. certainly not, mainly because of a time thing. To get to that level, you really do have to spend many hours of practicing, which I simply don't have, I'm afraid. But, and this might be a personal question, so you really don't have to answer it. And I remember when I was talking to Stephen Clearbury, mm. the late lamented Stephen Clearbury, yeah, he said, no, I'm not going to answer that question. But does spirituality play a part in your life? Yes, very much so. Okay. Well, that's an easy answer because you are really immersed in it, aren't you? And I think to give of yourself, you would need that spiritual dimension. Rodney, let me talk about something quite important, I think, and that is the difference between spiritual and religious. Yes, indeed. And uh, you will understand immediately what I'm talking about. I, I think it's almost impossible to be a good musician without being spiritually attuned as well. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that informs us, whatever that geist is that gets into us and, and makes us passionate about music and or any of the other arts for that matter, seems to me to be that Gotterfunk of which Beethoven talks so, so, <laughs> so brilliantly. Yes, yes. Yes. That's a good answer. Thank you, Dion. Prayer, for example, you're at church every Sunday. There's even song, there's mass and all the rest of it. Mm. So the contemplative side, does that appeal to you as well? Well, it does. And, you know, I think one of the great privileges of my life has been the many hours I have been able to spend in the church quite alone 
often at night, mm-hmm. practicing the organ or just playing. And the serenity and the calm and the very meditative qualities you talk about by sitting playing, oh, some frunk at nine o'clock at night in a, in a deserted church with, with moonlight streaming through stained glass windows. And oh, things. Gosh, oh yes. well, come on. It's a, it's a, yes. That's an experience that few people are privileged to have. Absolutely. And I mean, one of the things with this dreadful COVID business where no one was allowed to go to church for so long, I don't know what the situation is now at St. Michael's, how many people you're allowed to have there. But it's ironic, isn't it, that we need that sort of contemplative peace at the moment and we're not allowed to go to the churches. I understand that regulations, I suppose, have to be drawn with a fairly broad stroke when you're trying to control an entire country during a pandemic or something. But there were there were aspects of complete irrationality about that lockdown. And one of them was the fact that I and all of my colleagues could not go to completely deserted churches to sit and play the organ all by ourselves perfectly quietly. I mean... You cannot imagine a better example of social distancing than that. (laughs) But yet that was forbidden. So it was a hard, it was a very hard time, the lockdown. Mm -hmm. Not only for myself, but for many other of my colleagues. Other people could play the instruments at home. We couldn't. Mm -hmm. You mean you don't have a large organ installed in your home? Nope. Not at all, I'm afraid. (laughs) Not like Dean Herrick. I'm I'm working on it. (laughs) Dion. What is another piece, your next piece of music? Well, my next piece, I think, is Mozart. Uh-huh. We have to have an example of one of the orchestral masses we do. And this is, I think, one of his greatest masses. It's one that's very seldom performed for some reason. I don't know why. But it's the great Missa Solemnis in C, K337, which was his last full mass. It's the next one straight after the coronation. I think it's even nicer than the coronation, frankly. And we're going to have the Kyrie from that. So it's the Kyrie from the Mrs. Solemnus in C, K337. Glorious Mozart from his Mass in C, the Missa Solemnis, and another choice of my guest, Dion Irish. Dion, you know, we've been talking about your life in the church, your award from the Royal School of Church Music in recognition of your contribution to church music in South Africa, what you've done for the community and all those things I mentioned at the beginning. Yet, your senior counsel, law is your job. How did you manage not to make music 
your daytime job? Well, I was very keen on, on a musical career. And, uh, but the trouble was that by the time I was in, in, in the last years of my school career, uh, it was very obvious that the only two instruments I was really interested in was organ and a harpsichord. And my parents, who I think were quite sensible, sat me down and said, look, <laughs> you are not going to make a living from organ and harpsichord. You're going to be starving in a garret somewhere. So you have a choice. Do medicine or law. I'd always been quite interested in law anyway because I, I was very involved in debating at school and that, and that sort of thing. So it seemed to me that law might be a, a good thing. And so I said, all right, I'll do law, but on condition that I can do music as well. So that was the compromise we reached. Mm -hmm. And that's why I did, although my formal degrees were all in music, I was, doing, I was studying with Professor Gee and did the LTCL and so on on the side as well. So I managed to do the two. I've always regarded myself as very fortunate that I've been able to do music at an, well, almost professional yes, level, very really. Yes, so, very much so. But I've, it, it's, if you like, it's been non-stipendary. Mm. I haven't had to make a living from it. Right. And, and frankly, watching how my poor colleagues are having to cope, particularly at the moment, yes, absolutely. That's, been a, that's been an extraordinary blessing, actually. And, John, as senior counsel, what sort of field do you work in mostly? Well, the two areas where I've, I've, I suppose, really specialized have been on one side medical negligence cases, which I've, I've done quite a lot of, and on the other side has been the shipping work, which I find interesting, very oh, interesting really? as well. Yeah. Oh. yeah, But I think I'd be regarded by colleagues as something of a, of a generalist, <laughs> given those two specialities, but I do do lots of other things as well. Mm -hmm. So you certainly are kept busy, law and music. What could be greater, really? Well, you know. The alternative to activity is <laughs> not to be thought of. <laughs> you said right at the beginning how you go skiing because you love traveling. And I was quite startled when you said you go skiing because that's very sort of physical. How much practice do you get? Well, it, there's a funny story there as well. My sister decided to take the family on a skiing holiday uh, when I was about 40, just before I was 40, actually. And she said, oh, come along, you know, you'll love it. And I said, oh, please, you know, I'm not sporty at all. I'm not interested in anything like that. She said, well, come, you'll enjoy the snow and all the atmosphere and all that. So I went along, not thinking that I'd be any good at all. And to my amazement, and this was a few days before my 40th birthday, it was the first time I could ski on my feet. <laughs> and suddenly I felt, I can do this. And I fell in love with it absolutely there and then. And I've been back every single year since then. That mm. must keep you sort of blow the cobwebs out. Which it does. Of the liturgical world and the world of law. All of it. It's just a totally different world and a totally different experience and gives me a, different, a totally different side to, to life. When you're at home relaxing, what sort of music do you listen to or do you not listen to music? A lot of the time I don't, actually, because I quite like silence. Mm. Um, because, you know, after especially a busy day in court, whatever the case may be, just, just quiet is, is actually quite nice. But if I do listen to music at home, it tends to be orchestral. Well, we also know you so well, don't we, as a very fine and rather elegant critic of our symphony concerts, which, of course, we are now suffering without just Dreadful. at the moment. Dreadful. And do you enjoy that as well, that discipline? I love it. Yeah, I started doing it also, as you know, years ago, and, and I think my whole approach and, and, and style of writing has changed so much over the years because one starts off by being a very bolshy critic and you know, trying to find fault with everything, as I suppose I'm... <laughs> as young people. As one young people rather do, yes, I'm afraid. Yes. And then as I got older, I started becoming, I think, very technical and started analyzing things in great detail and arguing about Boeing and this, that, and the other thing. But, but now I think one of the problems is who are you writing for? You know, who is actually reading this? The, the concert's happened. Yes. It's not going to be repeated. So w yes. what's the point of it? And so I've now turned it into, I think, what I hope is a successful blend of recording what happened and at the same time just doing a little bit of instruction and teaching about the works themselves and, and their background and so on so mm. that they become slightly more informative articles than merely just reviews, I think. Yes. And I hope that's been a successful I'm sure formula. it has. I certainly mm. agree, mm. Dion. Certainly, it's always been a delight to read your reviews, well, even if you. I don't agree with you. Well, you don't have to. <laughs> no, that's part of the fun. <laughs> Lots of judges <laughs> don't as well. <laughs> oh dear, really. Okay, we have to leave it there. But before your last piece of music, Dion Irish, I just want to say once more, congratulations on your life in music, in the church here in Southern Africa, the Anglican Church, and on your being appointed an associate of the Royal School of Church Music. So congratulations from all of us here at Fine Music Radio. Thank you very much, Looking Rodney. Looking forward to seeing you in your cape 
what do you call it? A cake? It's a hood, I think. Okay, what are you going to play yourself out? Well, with? I think we'll go out with one of the great English anthems, I think, which by a man called Patrick Hadley. My beloved spake and said unto me, rise up, my love. It's a great hymn from the Song of Solomon celebrating spring, which I oh. think is entirely appropriate. And it's a fabulous setting, and it, and it shows, I think, that lovely marriage of choir and organ to, to perfection. So there we are. Hadley, my beloved spake. It's been a delight talking to you, Dion, and thanks for the music. Yes. And just one other thing. It's sung here by the choir of St. Paul's Cathedral with John Scott conducting and my very good friend Andrew Lucas, who's been out to Cape Town playing the organ. My guest on People of Note, Dion Irish. Thanks, Dion. Thank you, Rodney. People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR.